0: are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Bless you guys. Well, you could be seated, please. Um, try to move that without dropping those waters. It's a sign of anointing. If they'd fallen, I'd say, that's a sign of the Spirit, and they're manifesting of the Holy Spirit if they'd fallen. <laughs> well, I'm not new to Atlanta. Um, I grew up here. Um, my, uh, my, my father, if you drive up 285 on the west side, as soon as you kind of cross I-20, there's an exit uh, there, if you're heading north, called Bolton Road. My dad pastored, if you, t- if you take a right and you go on Bolton Road, just not even a quarter of a mile, there's a big stone granite church there that used to be years and years ago, Second Baptist Church of Chattahoochee. And that's where my parents pastored. That's where uh, early on I grew up, up until I was about uh, 11 years old, and then we moved down to Columbus, Georgia. And uh, yeah, somebody from Columbus. My dad, my dad was born and raised in Valdosta, and so Georgia is definitely a part. I mean, you know, Val, back then Valdosta, they thought everybody in Atlanta were Yankees. So you just were way too far north if you lived up here. And today, that's actually not far from the truth. Uh, so much migration here. So anyway, it's uh, it's good to be back home and good to be uh, in this area, and so. Uh, I have a lot of fond memories. As a matter of fact, there was a, a church i, I 'm I'm, I'm not here in the area very much, to be honest with you, but uh, just over in um, Jonesboro, I youth pastored over off Jonesboro Road, uh, a church back in the day, it used to be called New Life Worship Center. Uh, Henry Jones was a pastor there when I was there. Uh, his son, now Rob Jones, is pastor there there's somebody somebody from really? Jonesboro, okay, just Jonesboro area. Yes, you you guys were from there. Oh, that's so cool. So I was youth pastor there right after I got married, um, and uh, we we went there to youth pastors. So Anyways, so we have a lot of history here. And, and then a little bit before that, back there was a church called uh, closer to here called Atlanta Christian Center, where I was at for I was at for a year and a half. Uh, and so, anyway, Rick Snow was the pastor back then when I attended, so it's, it's got a lot of history here. So it's good to be, it's good to be back in the area, it's good to, it's good to uh, see some friends here. Uh, of course, the Hetlands, everybody knows, and um, Leif has become famous because of Jennifer. And, uh, and <laughs> <laughs> Just watch her social media and the baking stuff. I mean, I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm gaining weight watching a video. This is a problem. <laughs> and we're staying with our friends, the showmans here. If you don't know them, you will. That, that's eminent that's, uh, right there. And uh, also Adam Schindler back there keeping his head down, who is always at Adam's like the stealth bomber. He's like a Holy Ghost stealth bomber. Yeah, he's shaking his head. It's true. And he's really upset that I just exposed him as the stealth bomber. <laughs> So anyway, it's so good to be here. Thank you, Steve, for inviting me. Thank you for for, for having me. And I want to share uh, some things with you this morning. You know, I, for those of you who don't know who I am, um, I, I planted a church. Our, our track was when we left Atlanta, we went to Shreveport, Louisiana, and I pastored a church, uh, a youth pastored at a church uh, there uh, that for for almost a year, They ended up uh, voting the pastor out because uh, the church uh, became quite quickly integrated, uh, not just with uh, different races, but also with lower life people. We were leading gang members to Christ and bringing them in, and this church was not used to that. And you know, I kind of had this thing when you know Jesus said, "Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature." I'm like. That means everybody in my book, you know. Well, they didn't think so, <laughs> and so I was bringing in gang members. I was bringing in, you know, guys uh, from the gay community who were radically transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and and seeing, you know, just set and on fire for Jesus. You know what I mean? I mean, it's it was just on fire for Jesus, and uh, and that didn't really set too well. So we were. Uh, I I don't know There was a technicality They couldn't vote us out Because only the senior pastor Could appoint or fire an under shepherd And so they thought Well we'll get rid of him And then be able to get rid of them But there was a technicality That meant he still couldn't know Because they didn't have a senior pastor They could not fire me Well you don't want to stay in a place That wants to fire you but cannot You know what I mean It's kind of like "All right, I'm just leaving You know uh, so we ended up, uh, we ended up going. All right, all right, we get it. And so uh, we ended up going, uh, and we were like, "Okay, this was like a classic." Are there, is this signing back there? So we we had uh, moved uh, to uh, Morton, Illinois. There was a. A Mennonite church that was this Morton? Seriously? Morton, Illinois. Wow. I mean, I get it with Jonesboro. I get it with Columbus. I get it, Morton, Illinois. I'm like, wow. It's a tiny little bedroom community off of Peoria. It's like, no, but you never meet anybody. Because part of it is people from Morton never usually leave. You're sort of stuck there forever. It's like the endless groundhog day once you live there. So, but it was a beautiful town. Love the town. They escaped. Of course they don't feel that way. They're with me on that one. So anyway, uh, we, we went there. There was a spirit-filled Mennonite church there, and we're like, well, we're going to go be Mennonite. Because that's where we'll fit in well. You know? <laughs> we're leaving. More, Lord. It's more. <laughs> Be filled. <laughs> Spring up, oh well. Anyway, so we're, so we're like, we're, we go to the Spirit-filled Mennonite church, and we're like, we're going to go where it's safe, where it's not a bunch of crazy Pentecostals. I grew up Pentecostal my entire life. So we're, gonna go, we're, gonna, we're running away from the Pentecostals because they fire you. You know, and stuff like that. And so we, uh, we go to the Spearfield Mennonite Church, and we're like, yeah, these people are common, and, cr- and they cook all the time. I like them, <laughs> you know. And so uh, we, go, we go there, and, and then they go up to this thing called Toronto. And we're like, you know, pfft, you know what kind of, what, what's Toronto going to provide? You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, it's Canada in my mind. And they come back, and they come back lit. And you know the thing was the thing that's so crazy about the Toronto, There is nothing uglier on the planet than a bunch of drunk Mennonites. You know, it's it it ain't pretty. Drunk Mennonites ain't pretty. You know. And so, because they're sweet, quiet people, but when they get drunk, (laughs) they roar. (laughs) They crawl around on the floor like lions. I mean, we were, I was like, this is not God. (laughs) And, uh, And man, of course, the problem is, is we went there to judge it. And then we got hit and blown up. If you want to see the video, it's on YouTube. Just Robbie Dawkins Toronto. That's all you need. And you can watch the video of what happened. And we came back so blown up and so lit. It was crazy. And a little revival broke out in that little Mennonite church. And it was so powerful. Later, uh, they hired a pastor by the name of Dr. Mike Hutchings, who now is running Randy Clark's school. Uh, up in Harrisburg, Randy's Randy's sort of more my spiritual father uh, in many ways, and so anyway, it's uh, it's been a it's been a powerful and interesting journey. Uh, we ended up going to plant a vineyard church in um, uh, Aurora, Illinois. Aurora, uh, Aurora. Now that is a place everybody's trying to leave, really, honestly. Uh, Aurora, Illinois. We planted a church there. And it was just, man, it was gang-ridden. Now, having grown up where I grew up <laughs> on the west side of Atlanta, over off Bolton Road, none of that spooked me, you know what I mean? Because I had grown up in, in a lot of uh, rough area and stuff like that, so that was, that, that, that didn't scare me. Uh, but we went, to, uh, my wife and I were like, man, if, if this signs and wonders thing is really going to work powerfully, like, like, like we know it will, it's, it's going to work, especially in a place where there's desperation. And people ask me all the time, they're like, Is it, when you go to China, and I've ministered in 72 different countries around the world, if you, and they're like, if you go to China and you go to India, why do they see more miracles than we see? And, and I'm, life can speak to this for sure. And I'm always saying, people are like, it's because they have a higher level of faith. And I'm like, no, they have a higher level of desperation. Desperation invites kingdom activity. I mean, where there's a higher level of desperation, you're going to see more kingdom activity happen. Let me, let, me, let me give you a little little clue into something. When you are more desperate than you care what people think of you, when your level of desperation exceeds your fear of embarrassment, breakthrough comes. When you're more desperate than you care about your reputation or, you think, or you're worried about what anybody thinks of you or anything, there, that is the ingredients to see in a ma- massive, incredible breakthrough. And so we went to we went to a poor urban inner city area because we wanted to see that happen. And I mean, and it was it was gang ridden. The Latin Kings were ruling that city. If you saw the movie, you know, Father of Lights, you saw like that. That that was filmed that portion where we brought the gang members in. Where I, I had had Todd White with me on that weekend. He was speaking at our church, and where we brought those gang members in, that hat, we filmed that in my church. And so uh, what ended up happening is, uh, I mean, the, they, they were ruling the city. Crime was just rampant in the city. And we ended up bringing uh, them in and leading them to Christ because they were threatening to start a war in Aurora. And the reason why is because at, at one of the heights of the level, and what I'm about to tell you is a key of something that we release, like, all over the world. Um, currently, our passion right now, that we're, something we're working on, and, and really we're a big major part of our focus is in the Middle East, and training the underground church in Iran, uh, I've, I've been to Iran, I've, I've, I've uh, been, uh, we were just in Turkey where we brought over 500 Iranians and trained them, uh, sent them back, uh, and, and equipped them in power evangelism, teaching on healing, prophetic deliverance, ministry of manifest presence, uh, all for the purpose of bringing people to Christ. And of course, Iran is the fastest growing church in the world right now. They, buy, they passed up China. And they're the fastest-going church in the world. And I mean, the third fastest in, of nations is Afghanistan. And you, I'm going to show you a clip uh, from something of that today. If you've, how many of you have seen Finger of God 2? Have you seen that? Well, we're going to show you the, the footage you didn't see. There you go. It's a little bit tidbit of that. But anyway, um, so, and I'm saying all this, this is just the introduction. I'll preach in a second. Hang with me for a minute. So, don't don't stress. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna keep you all day. It's not don't, you don't have to worry about that. But at the same time, it, it, there there was it, when we were there, there was so much violence and so much, I was like, Lord, I need we need the keys to see this break over our, our area. Something needs to change, and we need you. We you know, you, I, I mean, have how many of you realize we go to God with all these plans and strategies, and Lord, work this plan. You know what I mean? Most of our prayers are like, Lord, I need you to do this and this and this and this. You are speaking to the most intelligent, brightest, sharpest, wisest being of all creation. Isn't it better to go see if he's got a plan? I'm just, I'm just thinking that's a good idea. You know, And so many times we're just going with our list of what I need you to do. Versus like, Lord, what would you like me? To, I mean, you got the better plan. And what I've learned is this, is that God is always keeping us in a place of a dependency on him, even when it's his plan, because he's more interested in the relationship than the task or than the directive, or than anything else. He's more interested in us pressing into that place of needing and depending on him. And that is crucial in this because this is all about that relationship. I get so distracted with the task that I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This is truly coming. It has to come out of a place of relationship. And so all of a sudden we begin to go, Lord, we need to see something break. Because, I mean, people were, blood was running in the streets on a daily basis. Aurora at that time was one of the top 10 most dangerous cities in the entire United States. Top 10, in the top 10 of the most dangerous. I mean, it was, it had bypassed you know, gone above Southside Chicago, even though it was in the proximity, it was in the Chicago land. I mean, that's how, and it was only a quarter million people, but it was just, it was horrible. So we began to pray and the Lord spoke to me and he said, I want you to study the tribe of Gad. I want you to study the Gadites. And so I started looking in and study the strategy of Gad and, and how the Gadites were. If you look, when David is talking about his mighty men, and it's listing a I mighty mean, minute. It goes through, well, this tribe was really good with the javelin. This good, was good with the sword. This was good with the spirit. But it got to the Gadites, and it says, they were equipped with every weapon of war. So Gad was like walking warfare. The sons of Gad were like walking warfare. And it's one where David says, you know, talking, it says their least could combat a 1,000, and their, their least could, combat, you know, could take out a 100 of the enemy. Their greatest could take out a 1,000. I mean, these were powerful, powerful warriors. And so when I looked at the blessing of Gad and what was happening when Israel was blessing Gad, he said, he goes, your enemy will come in and grab you by the heel, but you will turn and grab him by the throat. Now, as a man, I love it when the Bible talks like that. You know what I mean? I mean, that's when it's a little more Vin Diesel than Pollyanna, you know, and I'm like, yes, yes. Yeah! I love that stuff. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm a guy. It's just what we do. So all of a sudden, I was like, Lord, how does that work? I mean, because we're, di- we're not wrestling with flesh and blood, right? We're wrestling with principalities and powers of the air. And I'm like, Lord, how does that translate into this? And, and the Lord showed, said, keep, keep reading. And I, I read on, and it says that whenever the enemy would cross the territory of the Gadites and steal their stuff, come and pillage them, that they would pursue their enemy until they caught them. They would take back their possessions and extract a toll. They would make them pay for even crossing their territory, their enemy. And I was like, I like that. And so I was like, Lord, how do I do that? And I just felt those spirits say, go talk to your gang members that you've led to Christ. Ask them what they do. And so I sat down with some of the guys that had come out of that, you know, out of the Latin Kings and out of the Deuces, uh, the two largest gangs in our area. And I said, what did you guys do whenever anybody came and did something against you? You know, how did you retaliate? How did you... And they said to me, they said, well, they said, if anybody came to kill one of our guys, we would go kill three of theirs. If they raped one of our women, we raped three of theirs. They sold 10,000 of dollars, we sold 30,000. Whatever you did to us, we did three times that to you. And I said, that's what we're doing from here on out. And they're like, we're gonna kill people. <laughs> they were like, we love this church, G. We love it, this is, this, is, this is home. And I was like, no, we are not gonna kill people. I said, but every time somebody gets killed, every time there's a violent crime, we are going to the very area where it happens, and we're taking three. We're going to lead three people to Jesus at that very spot. (laughs) Anytime there's a violent crime, we're going to go there. We're going to tell the enemy, we're going to make it too expensive for you to take people out. This is no longer your city. This city belongs to Jesus. Jesus. And so we began to implement that and we began to go to areas, anytime there's violent crime, we would go there, we would pray for people, we would bring healing to them, lead them to Christ. We would see, and all of a sudden, crime started dropping. It started dropping, it started, and we were like, and we're sort of, you know, when that happens, you're thinking, well, what are the police doing? This is amazing. I don't know what they're, like, you don't realize. But honestly, it's what Bill Johnson says, it truly is shifting the atmosphere. Because what happens is, even when you go into a grocery store and you pray for somebody to be healed, and they aren't healed, you still have shifted the atmosphere. Let me tell you something. It's not even the miracle that is as significant as the obedience at that point. Your obedience has brought a kingdom breakthrough that shifted the atmosphere in that place because you stepped out and you believed God... And you didn't trust what the circumstances were saying. You were trusting what the Lord said. And so we began to apply that, and we began to see crime drop. Well, it dropped so significantly that the police department ended up laying off a third of the police staff because police officers were complaining about being bored. By the way, you can Google any of this, and it's all on Google. It's in newspapers you can see in the Chicago Tribune and the the Beacon News that was our local paper. Uh, You could see stories about this of when this happened in 2012. Well, what ended up happening... And th- this is still the introduction. I'm going to preach in a second. We'll get there. I promise. It's not gonna, okay, anyway. <laughs> it began to drop so dramatically that the chief of police, he calls me on the phone. I was a police chaplain because I wanted to raise the dead. I mean, you realize to raise the dead, you have to have proximity to dead people. And police chaplains did death notifications. And so I was like, ooh. I get to be around dead people if I'm a police cha- I'm, I'm. I'll sign up for that <laughs> nobody laughs when I say that either but it was it was truly the motivation I'm, I know that, that may sound cold to you but trust me when somebody's raised from the dead it doesn't sound cold anymore <laughs> and thank god I've I've done it I've seen that happen you know it's it's happened that you can google that too I won't go into that story it's charisma did an article but anyway all of a sudden what happened is that um it was so crazy, but but we begin to see it drop. The chief of police calls and he goes, "What are you guys doing in these areas where these crimes happen?" And I said, "What do you mean?" And he goes, "Well, he goes, we're seeing crime drop. He goes, normally where a crime has happened like that, it increases, it doesn't drop. But we're seeing crime drop in these areas where we're seeing you're in afterwards." And he said, "And he says, what are you doing?" And I said, "Well, we're praying for the sick." we're giving prophetic words out on the street and we're using that to bring people to Jesus and lead people to Christ. He goes, no, what are you really doing? He goes, are you doing your own investigations? And I was like, we're not that sharp, trust me. You've got that, that better than we've got that. And I said, no, and I told him, I said, I was close to him because of the chaplaincy thing. I said, Greg, I'm serious, this works and it's changing the city and it will change the city. And what ended up happening is the Latin kings, they were saying that they were gonna start a war because whenever you don't, in their lingo, in their perspective, if you fear, fear means respect. If you fear me, you respect me. If you don't fear me, you don't respect me. And so their objective was to regain respect, to instill fear back in the community in order to regain respect. And so they were threatening to start a war. And they said that 2013 would be the bloodiest year in all of Aurora's history to recapture respect. And so that's when we invited them into the church. And you see us pray for them, and they all ended up coming to Christ. They all ended up giving their – the top leaders, not the entire gang, but the the three top leaders throughout the Chicagoland – and, and just by seeing the power of the Holy Spirit come and it, and it ended up after that, they were saying that 2013 would be the bloodiest year in all of Aurora's history. We went a full calendar year without one homicide in one of the top 10 most dangerous cities in the nation. A full calendar year without one homicide. That had not happened for 66 years. And so what I'm saying to you is that, again, this whole thing and understanding of shifting the atmosphere is so powerful and so important. So even when you hit a failure, we don't like to say that, but even when you don't see the results you want to see, something happens. Why? You obeyed. You went for it. You're stepping out. Now, I I want to take a look at a passage of Scripture of an everyday occurrence, something that you and I would, you know, on a regular basis, do. And I want you to turn with me to John chapter 2. This is a story you all know. This is Jesus at the wedding of Cana. And how many of you have been to a wedding? If you didn't raise your hand, I don't know where your friends got married, but it was just. A wedding this is something we do all the time, right? I mean, sometimes once a year. Once every two years or whatever, we go to a wedding. So this is an everyday occurrence, but I want to break this down a little bit more for you. And I want to talk to you about taking a risk. How do you spell faith? Thank God for Randy Clark who pushed that and gave that. He got it from John Wimber. I don't know who John got it from, but I'm sure he took it from somebody else who took that and promoted that. And it's so true. Faith is not just the anticipation. That's more of expectancy. That's more in the realm of expectancy. And I want to show you how three things are working here that are significant in seeing the miraculous. And this is this is ranked as one of the biggest miracles in the Bible because it doesn't. It, how many times has it happened since? We have a few stories of it, but not a lot. So it says this. It says the next day, in verse one, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Okay? So here's the scenario. Back then, I mean, there was not like a lot of entertainment or anything, but you had wine. And wine meant wine. This was not grape juice. This was wine. Okay? And so the wine supply runs out and this is this is bad for the event. Now, Jesus' mother is there and why is she approaching Jesus? We don't really know. The, there, let me give a couple possibilities. There's a possibility that she's approaching Jesus because Jesus Joseph would have, have passed away by this time. Jesus is being the eldest son, would have been the one to take over the care of his mother. That's the reason why Jesus on the cross looked down at John and said, you know, son, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. You know, there was a a handoff because he was the caretaker of the family and of Mary. And so Mary could be possibly approaching him from the perspective of he's the in head of the finances. Hey, could we kick in a little bit? They've run out of wine, this is bad. Could we help? That could have been the case. Or is it possible that Jesus had performed miracles, Mary knew this and was a, but that does not what the scripture says. So according to the narrative, according to the text, this is the first miracle. I mean, unless secretly Jesus is like, you know, gets his glass of milk and is like, no, I want chocolate milk. And like, (laughs) and it turns, or he's walking on bath water or parting bath water, we don't know. But somehow, whether it is just a natural thing of provision or supernatural expectancy, Mary is approaching Jesus with expectancy, okay? She's approaching him with some, either, either a natural provision or supernatural provision. Again, we don't know quite sure what it is, you know, as to what she, her approach is. She comes to him and says, they have no wine. Now, Jesus' answer is an answer... I never in my entire life, a response I never said to my mother ever. He says, Dear woman. Who talks to their mom that way? You know what I mean? Dear woman. Of course, I'm thinking that King James has hijacked this and we've now bought into that cultural thing and so sort of, he says, dear woman, again, an answer I never, my mother never came and said, your room is dirty. And I'm like, dear woman, <laughs> a dirty room, really? I must be about my father's business. <laughs> <laughs> the latter part of the B part of that answer, I said to my mother, often, that's not my problem. He looks at her and says, that's not our problem. Dear woman, that's not our problem. So basically he's rejecting it and saying, look, this isn't our issue, this isn't our problem. He's rejecting it, but look what happens. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. Now, how many of you come from a dispensational background? Anybody come from a dispensational background? Okay. So dispensational background, this would speak and indicate, stick with me, don't pick up rocks yet. This would indicate there is a dispensation. My time has not yet come. That would give an indication of dispensation. But stick with me. Yeah, there's no amens on that when I said that part. So he says, my time has not yet come. And this is, this is very important. But, the, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you to do. Now, listen, Mary is ignoring his, his answer. Of course, what all mothers do, right? You know, I mean, this is just a common thing. Mothers aren't going to take the answer. She ignores his answer and says, do whatever he tells you to do. Now, Jesus could have looked at the servants and said, hey, take five. You guys have been working hard? Go get a drink of water. There's no wine or let's say get that. But go out, take five, take a break. You've been working hard, chill. But Jesus doesn't do that. And the reason why is because expectancy pulls on the heart of God. Coming into place of expectancy pulls on the heart of God. And so, listen, I love this. He could have said, take five. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for the Jewish ceremonial washing each could hold 20 to 30 gallons of water so what this looked like let me go through this really quickly because of time what this looked like is there would be six stone water jars and that when you came into in the Middle East when you would come into a room you got to realize there's no pavement there's no blacktop, there's no concrete there's none of that dirt was everywhere you were walking on dirt, your bottom of, I don't care how rich you were. I mean, your garments were dirty, your sandals were dirty, every, your feet are dirty, everything's dirty. So especially when it was something of like a wedding, you would come in and you would start with the first jar, 20 to 30 gallons, probably about that big. You would start with the first one, you would wash off in that. Then you would go to the second, wash off in that. Then you would go to. Th- you would wash off in that. For those of us who've ministered in the Muslim world, this is something familiar to us because of of ceremonial washing that they do. You would come through until you got to the sixth stone pot. Now, the first one would be sludge, right? Everybody's washing off in it. By the time you get to the sixth one, it would be the cleanest, but it certainly wasn't clean. But it would be the cleanest of all the six. So these are, this is not just water. This is dirty, nasty foot water. And I don't even mean you and me taking off our socks, dirty water, being in the streets. So this is sludge. This would have had mud in it, especially in the first one. Jesus doesn't look at them and say, hey, go take those out and rinse them out and wash them. That would have been immense amount of work because nobody had water running into their house. They had to go to a nearby well and bring, it was the bucket brigade, right? So he says to them, he doesn't say rinse that off. He says, basically, fill the jars with water. What is he saying? Top them off. So if you're pouring that water into that sludgy, dirty water, what's happening? It's stirring it up, and it's all rising to the top. So this is really nasty, dirty water. (laughs) You're looking at me like, why do we need to know that? (laughs) Stick with me. Now, Jesus looks at them, and he says, now take some dip some out and take it to the master of the ceremonies here's a question did Jesus ever touch the water never so these these servants are looking at each other going i ain't doing it <laughs> I, those guys are from nazareth i mean come on that's the other side of the tracks Who knows what they're saying? He hasn't performed a Nobody knows his miraculous reputation. They just know he's a guy who walks around probably telling stories and has some crazy people following him. There's nothing there to indicate that they should follow So they're, they're probably looking at, hey, we got that teenage servant over here. Bring him over here. He's the new kid. Make him do it. Imagine dipping out this dirty, filthy water. And walking over to the master of the series. And the kid is probably going, please don't beat me. You know, please don't fire me. I need this job. Please don't. I mean, shaking. It was the Nazarene. You know those crazy people. He's making me. It's not my idea. His hand probably shaking the entire time. It's still Water. Scripture doesn't say when he dips it, it happens. We're all saying, Lord, when's the miracle coming? When's the miracle coming? He's saying, just keep walking. How do you spell faith? Can you imagine he walks over to the master of ceremonies and is walking up, going, This is bad. Verse 9, when the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, when did it happen? In the hands of the servants, in the hands of the risk takers, in the hands of the ones who are sitting there shaking the whole way, going, This is not good. Listen to this. I love this. Tasted the water that wasn't on eye, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, who knew? The servants knew. He calls the bridegroom over and he says to the host, He says, when somebody serves, has a wedding, they first serve the best wine first. He said, And then when everyone's had too much to drink and aren't paying attention, because they're a little lightheaded by that time, then he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best till now. You know what the beautiful thing of this is? Jesus doesn't just turn water into wine. He turns filthy water into wine. He turns the nastiest water into wine. And he's not using the supreme, the best, the sharpest to do it. He's using the least to do it. My friends, God's not looking for people who are qualified. He's looking to qualify people. He's not looking for the people that have the most talent. He's looking for those who are most available that he can give talent to. He's a gift-giving God. So what does that look like in a little bit more risky circumstance? A little more risky situation. Where you're not sure what's going to happen. You don't know. And again, if you saw the movie, you saw that I went to Afghanistan in the middle of Ramadan in 2017, and it was everybody was calling me, going, "Are you sure?" <laughs> All my Steve Witt was like, "Robbie, a bomb has just gone off outside of the German embassy." This is four days before. This may not be the wisest time to go. You know, Sean Boltz is like, dude, really? Dude. And people are like saying, people, how about when people always say to you, man, you've got to, you better have had a clear word from God before you go to a place like that. Anybody ever hear that? You better have a clear, why don't they say if you're going to cross the street and say somebody Jesus loves them? Well, you have better have had a clear word from God before you go do that. Why is it just in dangerous? Place? And my answer is always the same. I haven't had one clear word from God. I've had five clear words from God. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Jesus said, do what? Go everywhere. We really got to have a clear word from God when we've got this clear word? You need a clearer word? Really? We're all saying we want to see more signs and wonders, but we don't want to take the risks to see them. We don't want to walk with the ladle. (laughs) You know what I mean? One said, yeah, okay. (laughs) Let's see where you're at. (laughs) There's a release that God has for this area. We are in the fight of our lives for righteousness, like never before, my friends. In other nations, in other places, and right here in our back door. And there's been a fight over the greater metropolitan Atlanta area for a long time. And this morning when I woke up, I heard the Lord say, now's the time for the righteous to arise and recognize we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. This isn't party against party. This is spirit against spirit. And it's time that we step out into the truth and see that we are going to see a death. Let me tell you something. When Jesus gets word of John the Baptist's murder, and he moves to the other side of the lake, and it says he's getting away to grieve the greatest of all the prophets' death, he's moving away to grieve the death of his own cousin. (laughs) And it says, the crowd found him, came to him, and he saw them, and he was moved with compassion and healed them all. I read that passage and I said, Lord, what was that? And he said, revenge. It's revenge. Jesus is getting revenge. It's the revenge of God. See, God doesn't get revenge the way you and I do. He does it by blessing those who curse him, by loving those who who do hateful things to him, by ministering to those who want to take him out. We want to see more power? We got to step out and more risk. All right, I've set it up enough. That was me setting up the video, if you guys have it, So this is in Afghanistan, and I'm gonna point a couple of things out in here because I'm telling you, the world has come to your doorstep and you've been given a great opportunity. And this, I really believe, is a prophetic word, And I believe a real release and impartation of boldness that God has for this place. And I'm not just talking about this greater area. I'm talking about Bethel, Atlanta. And I want you to receive something in that as, as we just show this. And Let's go ahead. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Take a risk. Stop being the safe church. Stop. I, I'm not talking about security for our kids and keeping kids. I'm talking about safety, and stop being our pursuit and prayers of our own safety is robbing us of true faith walk. Just push it aside. Father, I pray that you would make Bethel Atlanta the most dangerous church in this entire city. I pray that when Satan sees each one of these members walking through the streets, he shakes and trembles and breaks out into a sweat and terror and in fear. Despite what our eyes see, we follow through because the results aren't for you. The results are for him. Glory's not for you, it's for him. Ruin us with that, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.